0: I, uh, the reading this morning is Acts 19 verses 23 through 41 and if you don't have a Bible you can get one of these blue Bibles hand up by the stewards if you just stick your hand up and we'll get that to you. From page 1116 in them Bibles. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, Doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly.
1: Thank you so much, Luke, for reading and uh, thank you for coming along. As we look into this next part of the story of the first Christians, the early church, in this book called the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, this is a good bit. So let's pray and ask that God will teach us from it. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the story of the early Christians and for the way that their uh, persistence and love and faith means the gospel reached people like us today. And we pray you would help us. Learn from what you have recorded for us here in your word. Teach us, train us, rebuke us, correct us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I should have said, My name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders of the church here. I'll be talking us through this next bit of this story. Well, uh, back many years ago, um, when I was in college, I ended up being friends with one of the sort of most like wild party central popular guys in our quite small college i must be clear i did not mix in those circles uh definitely not um, he was the sort of center of college social life but in the first term we ended up being study partners on a particular project so we ended up working together well uh, someone close to him during that term someone close to him from home died very suddenly and because i was the nice non-parting friend I ended up chatting to him about that and because I sort of thought he needs more help than I can give, I invited him to come to church and he was very interested and it, you know, I had this weird thing over several weeks, I'd meet him at church on, Saturday, on Sunday morning, I did not know where he was coming from on Saturday night, where had he been, I don't know, he'd been out doing all sorts. Um, and then he ended up our student worker at church, sort of realized and chatted to him and then they were going to have coffee together to discuss the gospel. I was like, what's going on? No, he didn't become a Christian in the end. That would have been a good end to that story, wouldn't it? But I didn't feel free to make it up. I wanted to tell you the truth. And in the end, actually, that didn't have much to do with me, but his own choices. But in that period, I remember being surprised at how much people were angry with me. Because I was like, you know, social nobody. He was on his own journey. But as he began to change what he would do, who he would hang out with, the way he lived his life, it was sort of like disturbing what everybody thought was normal. And people kept tracing that back to me. And honestly, as a sort of naive 19 year old, I began to wonder if I really wanted him to become a Christian because it would be such a huge change for him, I would think, how could that possibly happen, that type of turnaround? And if it did, people are going to blame me for this, like, great disruption it causes in all of our lives together, and I didn't have the resilience for that. Now, I still pray for that friend, but since then I've really read the story of Acts, the story of the first Christians, and I've begun to understand this, that the kingdom of God. God's rule coming into the world, and God's rule coming into the world happens just through normal Christians who God fills with his spirit, and they go out and they talk about Jesus and they live as Christians, but that is a disruptive business to the way that the world is. It's especially disruptive, the kingdom of God, to a place or a people group or a person like my friend who is totally godless. He had no Christian background. That's why the whole thing was interesting to him. But then, if he'd become a Christian, it would have totally upended every single thing he'd ever thought or acted on or believed. And that means, we're going to see, that Christians will be troublemakers. Christians don't seek trouble, but people who are empowered by the current system, the way things are, whether that is people who see their partying friend being stolen, or the people who currently rule the world instead of Jesus, and everybody in between who's invested in the current system working, they're not going to like it, this different claim to authority, and they're going to blame Christians. And it's bonkers, isn't it? It's like the Christians I meet, they tend to be pretty normal, they're fairly conservative, They're like doing, you know, searches for fat face tops on Vinted. We're talking that type of normal, non-controversial, even in what they wear, non-radical people. But in a godless society, that is not how Christians will be thought of. They'll be thought of as troublemakers. Now, we saw last week, as the power of God breaks out in the world, amazing things will happen. People will find freedom from evil, they'll be healed from diseases, they will experience the presence of God at work. Many, many people will find God in a life-transforming way. That's what happened to Paul in Ephesus, that's what we saw last week. But as people's allegiance moves to Jesus, that will upset and threaten and undermine corrupt institutions in the world, then that will bring trouble for Christians. And we're going to see today, while Christians must not court trouble, be extremely careful about pushing for political change, Christians must also accept that Jesus is a threat to every human system and the current holders of power will blame us. So here's the first thing that we see in this story. The new way overturns the old way. Okay, I read some research this week, no idea if it's true. Caveat, that one in seven people who really considers the message about Jesus becomes a Christian. Now, I can't imagine how that research was done, but let's use it as a working figure, okay? Imagine if one in seven people in our city, in our region, did become Christians. So we did what Paul did last week in Ephesus and made sure everybody in the region had heard about Jesus and one in seven became Christians. That would be about 100,000 people. So we'd have like some church planting to do. I'm not saying it's through our church, but through all of the many great churches in our region, people were mobilized to talk about Jesus as much as possible and loads and loads and loads of people came to faith. And the type of conversions that were happening in Ephesus. Remember in Ephesus last week, they all came out and burned their sorcery stuff. They got rid of that. And so imagine it was that type of conversion taking place, that people getting rid of the stuff that connected them to their old lives of evil, even if it was costing them a huge amount of money. So it was radical conversions, 100,000 of them. Imagine what would change in our region. I guess, this is just a guess, well, I hope, that demand would drop suddenly for illegal drugs. I would hope, if people are really leaving lives of evil behind, the sex trade and the human trafficking that goes with it would collapse. I'm not for a moment suggesting it's sinful to go to a pub or a nightclub, but the reasons that lots of people who are not Christians go to pubs and nightclubs would be less, people would be less interested in drunkenness and casual sex. Now, think about if that happened, think about who currently gains from those industries at the moment. As I read the local news, the people who gain from drugs, and trafficking, and nightclub culture are large networks of very frightening criminal gangs. Very scary people. What would they think of Christians if their business was dropping off because people were publicly confessing their sin and burning what tied them to that evil? And it wouldn't even just be bad people. The city makes a lot of money out of licensing and of turning a blind eye to illegal activity. Not just that, but perfectly legitimate, non-sinful things that are part of our local character might change if 100,000 people became Christians. I would guess, sorry to mention this, but large numbers of people would think, you know, I'm not going to spend a thousand pounds a year in a season ticket, I'm going to give that away to help the poor or to people who need it. So, if that happened, it would disrupt all of our great institutions, hopefully it would call those institutions to more social responsibility, but it would be a big disruption nonetheless. Even if one in seven people became Christians, the social implications would be huge because people would be putting behind them, away from them, things which make powerful people a lot of money. And that is what happened in Ephesus. It was the center of worship of this goddess Artemis. She was a strange goddess, a nature goddess, a meteorite had fallen to earth in Ephesus and they'd taken that to be a sign of her blessing that place and this guy Demetrius has been making a lot of money through statues of Artemis. And lots of people he says are now believing that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. I think Luke puts that in to be a bit ironic. Like imagine people are coming to believe that things we make with our own hands you shouldn't actually worship. Crazy. Uh, He dresses it up in verse 27, he said, wouldn't it be terrible if Artemis wasn't worshipped anymore? And I guess he's appealing to the religious and national identity of the city, but really the issue is money and the people in power making money. And so they all had a riot. They headed down to the theater. The whole city came out. There's a picture of it should appear here. It's still preserved there today. Apparently this theater in Ephesus could fit 25,000 people. This is quite an intimidating crowd that Paul is facing. And Paul's companions are seized. And Paul, good leader that he is, wants to step in and take the heat himself. But I think the disciples and local officials are worried he will be ripped limb from limb. Some Jewish people sent someone to address the crowd. I guess that was so the Jewish people could stand up and say, just to be clear, guys, we are different from the Christians. We just want to be quiet in the synagogue. But the difference meant nothing to the Greeks. They just knew they weren't worshippers of Artemis either, and so they just yell at them. Can you imagine how terrifying? 25,000 people for two hours chanting their devotion to Artemis. She was their goddess, their identity and pride. She brought them money in this little tiny group of theists. Christians and Jews, Jews hated the Christians, so it wasn't even a united team standing being yelled at. Okay, here is the truth that is going on in Acts. Real Christians who know the love of Jesus, who know Jesus loved me and gave himself for me, who really have that truth set alight by the Holy Spirit in their hearts, those Christians want other people to meet Jesus. That is our heartbeat. That in the end is our reason for existing. That is why I stand here every week talking about Jesus, and you're kind enough to give your time to listening. We'd want to be innocent about doing that. We just want to meet people to meet Jesus. There's no other agenda except people meeting Jesus. So we want to be innocent, but not naive. That is going to cause trouble to the existing stable structures of power. It will disrupt things that whole ways of life rest on, even though that's not our aim. I mean, people here come to church every week have no interest in disrupting other people's lives, I don't think, but that will be the effect of talking about Jesus. It starts small, so say that you live a normal life and you become a Christian. You have a family who just want you to settle down and have money and have kids and be happy. And you say, well, no, I'm only going to marry someone who's a Christian. And I can only be with someone of the opposite sex. So I'm actually going to make choices that don't make me happy, but serve Jesus. That is a threat to the whole view of the world, even of very nice normal people who used to be on your side. You know Jesus is better than those things, you know that, but that is a big threat to the people around you. They've built their lives on a totally different view of the world. There will be trouble, think on a bigger level. I was listening to a Christian speaker once whose father-in-law ran a peach farm near the Mexican border in the United States and every summer he had migrant workers come over the border to work and the practice amongst farmers was to pay as little as possible and keep the workers in terrible conditions. Well, His father-in-law became a Christian and so he started paying his workers fairly and allowing them to stay in his home, not out in the fields. Now, you would love it if this story ended with, and he made more money than everyone else and God blessed his farm. That is not what happened. He died poor because he paid his workers so well. And the other thing that happened was workers on other farms started to organise to say to their employers, he's doing this. Why can't you keep us like they get kept? And then it snowballed. Fruit growing, who knew, and canning, is a massive business. And they're all making their profits by exploiting their workers. And they were all made to look bad by this one solitary farmer treating a few people from another country well. So he ended up called up in front of the city council where he lived. This small Christian in the middle of everybody demanding that he worshipped the dollar the way he Oh, something. Some calling. Yeah, they want us to worship the dollar. Let me give you an even more big example these two guys should appear on the screen i hope will they appear great thomas birchall on the left was a baptist missionary in the 19th century in jamaica and he wrote back about slavery that was happening there and his real problem with slavery was actually he was saying it's anti-gospel to not encourage All people no matter the color of their skin to know Jesus and to be educated and to grow in discipleship and he so he brought black people into his church slaves and he educated them and he made them leaders that's the guy on the right a guy called Sam sharp he got a lot of criticism Thomas Birchall from the establishment including the church and what was their criticism the economy of the Empire depends on slavery We're going to lose a lot of money if you encourage this. Sam Sharp, the guy on the right, got Jesus Lordship and he called a strike. He said we shouldn't have to work for no money. And he called it just a sugar cane harvest time. So it hit right at the pockets of landowners. He was protesting against the worship of money over human life. And Sam Sharp was arrested and killed. And Thomas Birchall fled the country and his church was burned down. But Birchall was saying the economy of the empire is no God at all, and that is disruptive to the existing system. Christians should never go out of their way to seek trouble or to be offensive. That is a spiritual issue. Um, If you're rude, you know, that is something Christians sometimes do. They go out of their way to be rude, and then people say, Would you please shut up? And then they go, Oh, it's persecution. It's not persecution, you're just an idiot. <laughs> but while that can be true, even at my micro level in college, people worshipping Jesus threatens the evil empires of the world that profit off people's wrong beliefs and lifestyles. And if we want the conversions, and the healings and the freedom from evil, we should expect to raise the opposition of people in power. Two more things to say before we move on. First thing is, while this looks bad, it's actually good, isn't it? So it looks like um, Ephesus' economy is going to collapse. But think about what's going on here. People in the ancient world were terribly poor and the Artemis thing was a total scam. Silver statues at a fake temple where a meteorite once fell, incredibly poor people were the victims of this silly superstition. So we want to be respectful of other people's cultures, but also say freedom from that is good. It's good this corrupt economy was disrupted. If our city is mightily disrupted and things wobble because of Jesus, that will be better for people even though you'll be constantly be to- told it's worse. I can't be sad that poor people who are exploited to buy silver statues of a goddess that doesn't exist know the true and living God instead. Second thing to say before we move on is that I can't imagine at all having 25,000 people yelling and you're the Jews, your nearest compatriots, trying to get in front of the crowd to say we're nothing to do with them. I cannot imagine how lonely and scared terrified these relatively new Christians would have been, and so I don't want to underestimate or minimize the fear that you might feel or be experiencing at this moment when you are blamed for change that comes through Jesus. That is not nothing, it is a big deal, but let me tell you this, no one Is worshipping Artemis today. In fact, according uh, to the research, the same one in seven man, so I don't know if this is true, but according to his research, he reckons about 35,000 people become Christians around the world every day, which is 10,000 more than an Ephesus theatre full every day. So we can't imagine the terror of these first Christians, but history has proved them right in keeping talking about Jesus. And in a sense, Demetrius' fears turned out to be right because the temple to Artemis is a ruin and people all over the world are following the true way. But in saying that, this second point is also important. The new way respects the old way. Every Christian faces the issue, whether they realise it or not, that where you are working or living, the structure is unjust. Every Christian faces that. That's the nature of being in a world that has rebelled against God. You might realize it, or you might not. Say you're seeking a career in marketing, which I think Christians can do. I'm not criticizing anybody who's doing that. But marketing is trying to get people to buy things they don't need. So the whole structure of it is an unjust mess. Or say you um, put money in the bank which we generally regard as a sensible thing to do. But did you realize banks just operate to keep making money for rich people while poor people suffer? It's just the nature of the system. Or even I know lots of people in our church work in the NHS and you work there because you want to help sick people, but you're also aware that many things are deeply uncomfortable and not right within that system. In fact, economies in the Bible are pictured in the book of Revelation, I love this picture, as a huge beast sucking the life out of the world and tempting people away from Jesus. And that was true of the Roman Empire the first Christians were in and the gods they worshiped. It was all about injustice to keep money and strength for people who are already powerful. And yet the clerk of the city in verse 35 is able to stand up and say, if you think they did something illegal, take them to court. Otherwise, shut up. And in fact, he goes further and says, or you'll get arrested, <laughs> because you're rioting over nothing. Why did Luke record that bit of the story, what the clerk said? Well, he's making clear the aim of the church is not to destroy people's way of life. We have to be happy and respectful to work in society as it is to help people find out about Jesus. This happened this week, I don't know whether you saw it, this is a just stop oil protester and I don't know what it was, a bashed up bag of it or something, uh, something very orange and he ran onto a snooker table to protest the use of oil, not quite sure what snooker has to do with the use of oil but uh, there we go, we we're talking about it so it worked. Why don't Christians do that? Why don't we head to the places in the city where people are worshipping false gods and throw orange paint over them? They're idols. Why don't we bash down the doors of false places of worship and set them alight? Well Paul didn't go to the temple and vandalise the Artemis statue, the city clerk was able to see that. And we should never do that if we're in the worship space of another religion. Paul does talk elsewhere in the Bible about warfare, spiritual warfare, but he talks about taking thoughts and ideas captive. The gospel doesn't spread through acts of vandalism and violence, but through people being convinced that Jesus is real. The message brings light. Now listen, there is a Christianity that doesn't do our first point from today here. It doesn't seek or want the huge social change that will come when lots of people believe in Jesus. Jesus Lordship changes who we worship. So if you're professing to be a Christian, but you're happy for Christianity to support the rich, powerful status quo, that is a problem. Jesus changes that. Most of the people who objected to Thomas Birchill discipling slaves were professing Christians. So that happens. But there are also people who think the main job of the church is to change society. And that's wrong too. Perhaps in our place and time, that's more of a worry. From the beginning, the church ventured into totally godless places where there were terrible practices going on. And their main priority was to make sure people heard about Jesus, not to attack the society the way it was. Now listen, just to be clear again, they were not backward in saying, Jesus' lordship will mean you have to change who you sleep with and what you spend money on. And as democracy became a thing, they said, what politics you support. But the central mission of the church is to make sure everyone can hear about Jesus. And that was true, even though they were dealing with hugely terrible unjust systems like the Roman Empire. I was reading a review, I didn't read the book, but I was reading a review of this book recently, Young, Woke and Christian. I don't like the word woke because it's usually used in an insult, but this person was taking the insult on board and sort of saying, yes, I am a young and sort of cool uh, Christian who's alive to issues of justice in the world. And the idea of the book is to say really what young woke Christians want is to stop talking about Jesus, what she calls preaching at people, and stand up to unjust systems. That's our job. In fact, it came out in the review that the lady who edited the book, her partner is a Muslim. She said, it's not my job to try and persuade him otherwise from that. Now, it's an interesting book, I guess. <laughs> I guess I haven't read it. it. Sounds like an interesting book. But it is clear that is not the way the early church encountered culture. Their top priority was to make people hear about Jesus. They did not avoid the social change that followed that, even if it would bring them trouble. And there's something subtle here, so let's just be clear. Christians should be against unjust systems wherever they are. There is no Christianity without a change in how you view the rich and the powerful and their godless crushing of people. No Christian should be happy to just go along with that. But the church must be committed first and foremost within those systems to helping people meet Jesus. We should look for the response of this city clerk in saying, okay, this has caused trouble, but they didn't blaspheme our goddess. We should be able to say with integrity, we're not attacking your way of life, we're introducing people to Jesus. Touch some issues then. It is a mistake out of step with the early church to be more worried about public sector pay than people hearing about Jesus. It is a mistake out of step with the early church to be more concerned about the moral decay of the nation than people hearing about Jesus. Now listen, becoming a Christian will radically change what you think about both of those things. And you will have to use your influence as a citizen to make sure good things happen as far as you can. But as a church, we are about making sure the word of the Lord is heard. Because Luke keeps telling us, it is the word of the Lord that wins the victories. Let's come back to where we were thinking uh, earlier. In that personal situation where making Christian decisions is unsettling to the way of life of your friends or family. You might be in that situation, and now it's obvious to you that the things that your family are aiming for are not really worth anything. They're sort of building their lives and stuff that doesn't matter. Please do not try and school them on that. Please don't say, oh, your job that's really important to you, total waste of time. Having a family and having kids and settling down, what a loser for doing that. Don't attack their way of life. Think carefully about what will help them listen to the message about Jesus. It's complex, because point one is also true. Don't compromise on what Jesus' lordship demands of you in order to talk to people about Jesus. I had a friend in church years ago who used to say, quite openly, yeah, I love to go out and get drunk with all my friends, because that's what they like to do, and it helps them get to know about Jesus. It's like, I need my Britain's Got Talent thing. (coughs) That is not right. We don't compromise following Jesus in order to tell people about Jesus. And so we end up in this place that the early church win that is somewhat uncomfortable for us. It is disruptive for them having us around. But much, much more important than changing anyone's life, changing any system, is people hearing about Jesus. They should be able to say, if they are honest, like the city clerk, They aren't trying to destroy our way of life. That's why I've used this word respect. I mean it in the true sense of that word. In our culture sometimes respect just means agree with. You know, you disagree with someone and they say, you're disrespecting me. No, respect means hearing and not attacking someone else's point of view, it does not mean agreement. And the new way, the gospel way that Jesus gives us in that sense respects the old way. Do you know, we say at the start of the service here every week, if you're regular, you're probably sick of hearing it, we are here to meet Jesus Christ. We say that because it's true and it's easily lost. It is easily lost that churches are about that. That is the most important thing to happen to anybody. Neither moral campaigners or social justice warriors should distract us from being people to meet Jesus and if you're not a Christian here today you're very welcome I just want to be clear with you that is what we long for for you we have no interest in commenting or interfering in your life choices we want you to meet Jesus but with the health warning attached that he will upend everything you think is important Back in my college days, that innocent 19-year-old, to be honest, there was nothing I wanted less than to be seen as making judgments about my friend's life. That's what everybody thought I was doing, but that was not what I wanted. My heart was, honestly, that people would just meet Jesus, but people could see that would cause trouble. That's what the early church teaches us. We want people to meet Jesus Christ. We will accept the trouble, the trouble that goes with that.